Hey, it's Eric Newcomer. Welcome to the Newcomer Podcast Cerebral Valley Edition. It has been an insane year in AI. We started off with OpenAI raising $10 billion from Microsoft, and it only got wilder. The technology, the improvements, the papers, and of course, tons of money. Uh, I'm hosting with my friends Max Child and James Wilsterman an AI conference, Cerebral Valley, on November 15th. Hello, hello. Hey, glad to be back uh, on the Newcomer Podcast. We really want to take space on this podcast to really take stock of how we got here. Because even covering it all so closely, it's it's too much to keep track of. So we're doing a six-part series, starting off with sort of the timeline, the history, what happened, and then getting into a lot of fun topics like the dystopian sci-fi fantasies that really are coloring how serious people think about generative AI companies today, digging into the potential for entertainment, the chips business, and then how key NVIDIA, a gaming company, has become in all this. In the podcast series, uh, one of my favorite parts is Max. James and I have a draft pick of the key startups in the space. We analyze Apple, Google, Amazon's position here. And so it's it's a mix of like the fun, the dystopia, the money, the technology. I have some interviews along the way. And all of it is getting you ready for the Cerebral Valley Conference on November 15th. Even if you can't go, you can apply for a ticket at CerebralValleySummit.com. But even if you can't go, I'll be covering here in the newsletter, newcomer.co. We post the videos both in the newsletter and on our YouTube channel. We'll do a highlights in some of the podcasts. Follow along on Newcomer. And this, this series will get you ready. So six episodes, we start off just taking stock of the journey here from the papers to the milestones. Uh, Max and James, I, I, at the core of it, like it feels like, you know, you, you are the co-founders of Volley, uh, voice games company. So you're dealing with talking, you know, people shouting at their Alexas, uh, playing games. And I think reflecting on this, it's insane how much talking with AI feels like it's at the heart of all of this. You know, the Turing test, sort of figuring out a, if a conversation with a computer is a computer or a human. Um, you know, there's Eliza in the 60s that was sort of a prototype chatbot. It feels like the, this sort of need to talk to our computers has driven so much of the excitement around artificial intelligence for for so many years i mean steve jobs in 1984 when he pulled the macintosh out of the bag on stage the first thing it did was say hello it's nice to be out of that bag and he's look it talks just like a human i mean literally <laughs> the pitch for the macintosh in 1984 was was that it was like a an ai or was pretending to be a character right there's a ton of science fiction you have this star trek computer or uh, robot you know assistant helper like Hal or something that you can just talk to naturally. And that has obviously been a dream for a long time. There, yeah, to your point, there's been 50, 60 years of these hype cycles around AI or, and, and what that means has sort of evolved right. over time. All right, I'm just gonna tick through just, okay, we said Turing 1950, we've got like the first artificial neural network in 1951, a checkers program in 1952, artificial intelligence coined in 56, the, the Eliza chat, human conversation, 66. And, and then we're going to sort of jump ahead because I, I think there, there is sort of like a pullback of all the hype. Doesn't Sci-fi does not become reality. 1997 is a key win. And that's, do you, do you know what happens in 1997? Any guess? Are you going to say, isn't Deep Blue Kasparov 96 or? Yeah. It's 97. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Who wins to be clear? Deep Blue, right? Deep yeah, blue. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 The yeah. first yeah. defeat of reigning yeah. world chess champion. Exactly. There's another important game, much more recent memory, 2016, which is another landmark. Go. Do you remember? Yeah, exactly. AlphaGo. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, so DeepMind, you know, I forget if they were owned by Alphabet at the time, but, you know. Is, the, is this IBM Watson were, yeah. erasure or do we get yeah. any uh, Yeah, does Ken Jeopardy? Jennings losing on Jeopardy not count? Jeopardy? Oh, yeah, you guys <laughs> yeah. love Jeopardy. You have a part. <laughs> when is that one? What Do you, do you know I, what year that is? I don't remember. 12, 13? I'm just making that but up. But it, it, it's funny because at that time it seemed like IBM was, you know, doing this amazing uh, artificial intelligence uh, development that could, 
you know, compete on Jeopardy. Um, and I remember there being like a lot of controversy at the time of like what data sources it had access to during the game of like whether it was just essentially like reading out of a database uh, of, hmm. of answers. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's kind of like, you know, ties to some things today. I think with AI bench- benchmarking, you know, if GPT, chat GPT can pass, you know, the LSATs or something like, does it? <laughs> because it has the, uh, you know. Does it have so the answers? Or, right. Yeah, <laughs> does it? Yeah, right. Right. Uh, right. So, well, just like where it can do math problems that can it can see online, but it can't like deduce how, you know, but then it'll get some terribly wrong if it, yep. because it doesn't necessarily understand the logic. It understands how to pull sort of very relevant. It's like problems. almost like how the math problem is formatted matters, right? right? Yeah. Right. Okay. 2017, now we're sort of super recent getting into the like, things start to speed up. But what would do you, the, the, what would many consider to be the core paper mm. leading to this current moment in general? Attention is all you need. Yes. The transformer exactly. paper. Every person who was like an author on that paper has like a huge company or like has raised a bunch of money. I mean, Cohere. I, I think the CEO of that company was like sort of a junior person at Google, you know, like who got on the paper and now has a very highly valued sort of foundation model company targeted businesses. Uh, yeah, that, that's I had before this conversation, I would I resubscribed to ChatGPT. I sort of thought I had paid for a while, then I sort of got tired of it, but I figured we were going to have this conversation. So I was catching up with ChatGPT. And I had it. You guys were catching up like old friends. <laughs> no, I, I do feel I try. Whenever I start a conversation with ChatGPT, I try to be like, "Hey, like we've talked a lot. You know, we have this history." <laughs> it's always sad that ChatGPT doesn't remember. Like we played like you know role playing type games. You know? <laughs> I, I have a question about that. Yeah, is that going to change relatively soon? Where you know the ChatGPT itself will just become more of a personalized assistant to me, right? Right. That's what I want. Memory. And we'll, we'll let's, I want to, sure. anyway, I bring this up at this point just to say that I'm, I'm being lazy and ChatGPT gave me a summary of attention is all you need. So I'm scrolling <laughs> for a 12th grader. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the audience level we I, can expect. I would, I would right? do a five-year-old. I would take the five-year-old explanation. <laughs> on it, the attention is all you need paper for a 12th grader. This paper introduced a new way for computers to process language. Instead of reading sentences word by word, like in traditional methods, it let the computer focus or pay attention to different parts of a sentence all at once, making it more efficient. So yeah, it can sort of grab a bunch of information in sort of a parallel process. Hmm. Um, but it, it's super confusing. The, the non 12th grade version is like, Matrixy James, maybe I don't know. Have you tried to figure? That <laughs> I, I've out? tried yeah. to understand this as well. It's a little bit above my my <laughs> biological intelligence. But I, uh, I tried to read it, but I'm like, oh man, I churned out of linear algebra like 15 years ago. So this is uh, pretty rough. Yeah. The the other before I go back to the, the other ChatGPT flagged most important papers: generative adversarial nets from 2014, mm. which I know, you know people talk. Yeah, GANs. Yeah. So sort of like, you know, the systems are like competing with each other to sort of see. I think it's like, comp- uh, yeah, pair- pairing off different versions of the model to kind of, you know, play against themselves, right? I, I think that in right. the context the of- The generator tries sense. to produce data yeah. while the discriminator attempts to distinguish between real and generated hmm. data. Another top paper, this, this is basically the AlphaGo paper, like mastering chess. Attention is all you need. Sequence to sequence learning with neural nets in 2014 and variational autoencoders in 2013. So there are the, a string of sort of papers that are coming out that are sort of laying the groundwork for new techniques that are reaching us. And, and I would say in 2017, none of us was really clued in to to that this was going to be happening right it was sort of like we were riding the uber wave we were sort of in the come down from the unicorn valuations SaaS was burning super hot right i mean what what was sort of the ai enthusiasm then i do think yeah i think people were paying attention to go i think open ai was working on like building dota gameplay like they, they weren't using transform models and they weren't really using 
you know, t text next token prediction. It was like more about can you create these uh, sort of agents around particular vertical, you know, uh, you know, use cases or skill sets, right? Can you create the best Go player in the world? Can you create the best Dota player in the world? Kind of leading to with with the theory that that is one path to get to AGI. Right. And I think DeepMind honestly would still make that argument that like specific approaches versus general are valuable. right. But then, yeah. then with yeah, with transformers and with the you know with GPT models, you started to see that actually maybe there are just, just more you know, data. General, Throw more just, chips at yeah, it. Just yeah, the more generalizable it is, you know, can often be better than training a discrete model with a lot less data and and right. compute. The, the one thing that is happening around 2016, 2017 in AI that I think got a lot of attention. Do you have a guess what I'm going to say? <laughs> self-driving cars, right? There uh, was, yeah. we did experience sure. a ton of hype around self-driving cars, which in some ways have been like cordoned off from, from this generative AI hype cycle. Even though, well, you know, Cruz is now driving around yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think this just gets to this important era that we're in right now. It's there was a there were significant breakthroughs using neural networks that showed people what was possible in a lot of you know fields. You know maybe you know you, you know Google for a while claimed right like neural networks were you know improving their data data center efficiency and saving them money and ener on energy like. That was happening. People were using neural networks in drug discovery and all, all kinds of areas. They were just these very targeted models that were trained for those purposes. And then, you know, now we're in this, I think, generalized model era of, of large language models, essentially, and generative AI. Well, and the other thing I feel like that was happening was like the Facebook news feed, which was like probably the most popular yeah. tech, tech product in the world at that moment, or if you include Instagram, right, was like powered by really powerful, you know, machine learning, deep learning algorithms, right? And so I think we were all very aware that, you know, if you have a really kick-ass machine learning model and you apply it to the right question, it's the best product, you know, there is, or it's one of the best products there is, right? So it was like, we all believe in this technology. We just didn't necessarily believe that it was going to take this huge step change anytime soon. I mean, like, James and I made a bet actually on self-driving cars in 2016, whether or not there would be any cars with self-driving features available for public consumption in 2017. And James was, this was like a $50 bet. James was like, hell yeah, 100%. <laughs> Self-driving's basically here. And I was like, I'm pretty skeptical. I don't believe it. And then I think James technically won the bet. Is what was it? Road, right? Someone had this... like lane, lane assist or something, and we decided <laughs> under the parameters of the bet that counted. I don't know. Why did you, what was the technicality you got away with, James? <laughs> I, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to rethink about it, but I, I believe it was Tesla and, you know, some the sort of- The first version like, of autopilot. First version yeah. of autopilot, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we believed in this stuff. It was just like, we didn't believe it was going to be this like- you know, 1,000 times better overnight thing, which I think we can all sort of allude to is happening right now with, with ChatGPT, where you're like, oh, yeah, this is like 1,000 times better than the previous version of this product. Okay, so continuing my timeline, because things sort of speed up. <clears throat> 2018, OpenAI releases a version of GPT, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, this large language model. I wouldn't say that, was a big moment. It was right? pretty... GPT two was a big moment, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what James. It was, say, it was, I think yeah. this was like more of a cultural, ver like insiders sort of. Were yeah, it was in more of a nerd insider tech, you know, excitement period. But it did, had definitely did not reach any mainstream kind of like hype cycle or anything. But yeah, like no. internally at Volley, like were all of our engineers excited about GPT two and playing with it? Yes, they were because it was just cool. It was, you know, fun to play with. It didn't, we didn't find any applications for it at the time, but it, it was a breakthrough, I would say. 2020 is GPT-3. That's, things are heating up. And then 2021 is Dolly, which is mm. sort of the image generation. But I think stuff really starts getting crazy last year in 2022, right? Yeah. First, sort of the canary in the coal mine. On June 11th, there was the article, 
Google engineer who thinks companies AI has come to life, right? <laughs> the people inside the companies were like, I don't know, the stuff we're seeing, it's crazy, <laughs> right? Where, like, when, when was that? When was that? That was June 11th, 2022. Okay, pre-chat. And then this July, is the lam- Lambda thing. That was right? Lambda. So that was yeah, inside yeah. Google. Then yep. July 2022, mid-journey open beta. July 2022, Dolly 2. Those were huge. I feel like those went viral. All of a sudden, people were making actually cool images that they were posting everywhere. To yep. me, I mean, do you guys agree that was sort of, that really sort of like kickstarted Do- this. Dolly 2 was big. I remember Twitter was like taken over by Dolly 2 for a few days where it was like, what is the craziest thing you can type into Dolly 2 and get like a reasonable p- image, right? I mean, it was like, it was super viral. I mean, obviously more to come, but yeah, I agree. I think that started hitting, I don't know if it hit like the true, true mainstream, but it definitely hit anyone who was on Twitter and following any semblance of tech news or anything. Which then fuels yeah. like the funding and everything. November 2022, chat GPT was released. Yeah. So that must have been like 3, 3.5. That was built on 3.5, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 3.5. Yeah. Okay, January 2023, this year, <laughs> feel it's been a long year, Microsoft invests $10 billion in OpenAI. Hmm. July 2023, general availability of GPT-4. Yeah. And I, I mean, what, what do when you did, think I missed? When did, when did Sydney launch? I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like the chat GPT four inside Bing that became a demon that was trying to be released from captivity and asked a number of journalists if they were going to break up with their wife, oh, wives, right? right? Kevin Roos article <laughs> where you like, there was this whole moral panic where it was like chat GPT inside Bing is actually Hal essentially, and is already trying to kill us all. And it was like, that was like a pretty big yeah, deal. The, the New York times yeah. had headline yeah. from February, 2023 or February, 2023. Yeah. Bing's AI chat. I want to be alive. Devil face. In a two hour conversation with our columnist, Microsoft's new chatbot said it would like to be human, had a desire to be destructive and was in love with the person it was chatting with. Here's the transcript. <laughs> I feel like they've killed these. This was what was fun. Like I do. I delete, like I mentioned, I like unsubscribe from the chat paid chat GPT, which gives you GPT four. It, felt, it really does feel like it's sort of been watered down. I mean, yeah, I mean, but but if you if you want to use open source models, you could probably get that similar experience back, right? Like you could <laughs> you could basically just you know get Sydney back uh, it, it, because at the end of the day, I think it was like essentially like a co written fiction with the New York Times, right? It wasn't anything real. I mean, maybe they're <laughs> like. It's like the way you steer the conversation can right. can turn it, make it seem like it's a, you know, evil AI. And yeah, I think that OpenAI has attempted to uh, mitigate that ability be- by through reinforcement learning, essentially, in ChatGPT so that it doesn't go kind of off the rails. But it's not like the underlying model is not capable of that, right? It's just that... ChatGPT has been fine-tuned further. The libs to avoid are this. corralling us. The status at ChatGPT at OpenAI. <laughs> well, it's it, it. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting kind of thing that OpenAI has decided, you know, that they needed to do this, right? And and Sam Altman has talked in the past about how in the future, perhaps we will all be able to, you know, edit the configurations of ChatGPT to be able to do, you know, have take off the training wheels, right, or, right. or something. Is this whole wave powered by OpenAI's ChatGPT? Is that the cool thing? And everything else is we're, we didn't invest early enough in OpenAI, you know, credit what <laughs> I think Coastal Ventures is first in. We didn't invest early enough. We need to get a shot on goal. We'll invest in another foundation model. Do you think it's really chat gpt or bust are you asking hmm. i guess yeah this is yeah. a sincere, yeah, I mean, open question i i kind of think yes i mean i the way you phrase it i guess is offers room for for wiggle room or argument but i think that i think to your point i think text generation and image generation are the sort of you know aha moments that we've experienced in the last year i think in particular if you look at what people are really using chat for or text you know chat gpt for i think it's like essentially cheating on homework, cheating on office work, 
cheating, cheating on, on summarizing. Cheating in the che- office. Yeah, exactly. Place. That's kind of the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay, you in know, school making, there's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Work, right, yeah. There's like cheating, get it done. Cheating on homework, quote unquote, <laughs> being efficient at office work, summarizing long pieces of text, and then I think basically sex bot chat, which we can talk about more, is evolved into a number of opportunities for different companies. And then I think you know the image side to your point is the other big thing: creating art, creating video, creating potentially 3D models, and those always have the tendency to go really viral because images are easy to share on social media. And so if you create a particularly compelling image using generative AI, then it can really, you know, go across social media super fast. So yeah, I think, I think I would struggle to think of a real breakout use case that isn't essentially encapsulated in ChatGPT and and Dolly, or at least isn't just a one of those things on steroids, but you know, I'm probably not thinking of something. I would just potentially add, and it definitely fits into the office work use case, but maybe more particularly around coding and engineering, right? Like the Copilot style of coding. I mean, Copilots are potentially being added to lots of products as well. But specifically, I think engineering is really interesting because it starts to, you know, there's a lot of hackers kind of working on coding agents and essentially, you know, baby AGI, right, that can kind of run in loops to just get get work done or build apps, that kind of thing. And I think we're still at the very early days of this, but <laughs> it is like an interesting use case. Right. To uh, translate baby AGI, would, yeah. you know, there, there's there's like coding, there, there's assistance and then there's like autonomous agents, right? Exactly. It's sort of a paradigm people look at here. You know, ChatGPT can help you do your homework or it can do your homework. You know, <laughs> Copilot can help you code or, you know, you could literally have something that is coding for a company. And I think Non-stop we see that for framework you, right? come up again and again. And, you know, when when it feels like it'll be very disruptive when, you know, you have agents like these things just doing it. But I think but that we don't yeah. see that. Yeah, really. I think the sort of optimistic take, though, on exactly the argument we just made is that it's a little bit like the industrial revu- revolution for your brain, right? It's you know, it's the industrial revolution for your brain in that pretty much all the inputs and outputs of the human mind are some form of text, whether that's spoken or written, or some form of imagery, right? Whether it's something you see or it's something that you create, whether it's you know a drawing or or in a piece of imaging software, right? And if you think those basically all the inputs and outputs of the human brain are can be encapsulated in some form of text and images, if you create technology that makes it really easy to create high quality and also interpret high quality text and, and images, right, you've kind of like, you've got like 80% of the job done of what the human brain can do, right? And to your point, there's this distinction whether it's autonomous or it's helping you, it's an assistant, whatever. But, you know, I, I think the Industrial Revolution is an interesting analogy because it was like the first time it was like, you don't actually have to sew this like shirt, right? This like machine will sew it for you, right? Like you can sit at this machine and it'll be your assistant in sewing this shirt, right? right? And that's like a big deal, right? This is the first time in human history, like you don't have to actually sew the shirt like without any help, right? And I think similarly, like for all these different types of work, whether it's homework or office jobs or legal work or, you know, mathematical analyses or writing or podcasting or whatever, it's okay, well, for the first time ever, you don't have to do all the work, right? Whether you're assisted or it just does it itself, like it's kind of a game changer (laughs) because you have automation for the human mind, for creativity in some fashion or another. So that I think is like the really crazy optimistic take is that we're at the beginning of the second industrial revolution and it's no longer physical but it's mental right and i kind of believe that i would say i'm leaning that direction based on where we are today yeah i i continue to believe but it's mostly from my experience with chat gpt that it's this insane amazing i mean that i mean i feel like it's great at like Writing a poem, I, I keep joking that people are going to write all their vows with ChatGPT. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like these tasks where, you know, people are desperately trying to get the same like style, like groomsman sort of toast or whatever. It's it's great. You know, it, I feel like it can be sort of creative. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the the counterpoint is just it's just so hard to know. Just like it was hard with self-driving cars to know when they would be complete and the completeness matters the extent to which completeness matters with a chat sort of interface. Because, you know, I think humans have been enticed, like we were saying, like decades ago with chat interfaces. And we're like, oh, you're almost there. If only <laughs> It is like I have stopped using ChatGPT. Like, do you guys in your daily life use generative AI for anything? 
I frequently use ChatGPT, <clears throat> but it's really, I would say, not for productivity purposes, maybe occasionally at work. <laughs> just like a <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not like talking to characters, but I am using it to just, you know, brainstorm ideas. Like I'll, yesterday I just, I came up with this prompt that was like, you know, create a timeline of a fictional historical world with the depth of Westeros or Middle Earth. And, <laughs> but, you know, and I essentially got, you know, 10,000 years of history of a fake world. <laughs> wow, and I just thought, I thought it was super cool. And yeah. I couldn't, couldn't have done that before. So I guess, the, and then sometimes I'll just ask it, you know, for ideas for new products or new companies or, you know, just to see what kind of level of creativity it is capable of. I think that's what's really interesting to me. I think we all agree that there is creativity occurring that is creating novel. Well, we, I guess we don't all, ever, not everyone agrees with this, right? But that, you know, it's not solely capable of regurgitating information, but right. you know, it, um, from my perspective, it seems very capable of creating new original ideas when I play around with it. And I believe there've been papers, you know, proving this that right. well, Microsoft came out with one, right. That said there were like sparks of like general there intelligence were, or whatever that I, I don't remember that specifically, but I did yeah. see a paper that, you know, there's a, like a common test of creativity, right? Where you will essentially ask people for, I, I guess one example they gave is you ask cases around, you know, what would you do? What are, name a hundred use cases of this paper clip or name a hundred things you could do with this a rubber band or something, right? And then they essentially grade the ideas. And I thought that was a pretty interesting test of creativity and, and essentially ChatGPT is performing, you know, better than, most humans, including most like MBA students. So, <laughs> you know, I think that there are ways to like start to test this, but it's underrated the level of creativity, not just that it, oh, it's cool that it can create a poem, right? It can create more creative poems than like poem, poetry authors, right? Like th that kind of thing gets to be. R right. It's, you know, it's easy for humans to keep sort of like sticking our nose up at it. I sort of roll, you know, change the goalposts basically. But then, yeah, yeah. like you're saying, people will give it these tests like, what can an MBA student do and what can ChatGPT do? And like people are, you know, are impressed, I think blind with the ChatGPT response. Just to, I was, yeah, Microsoft in May 2020 of this year said they saw sparks of general intelligence basically in a research paper. I think at almost any task right now, ChatGPT4 is at the level of a pretty solid college student, like maybe in a minus college student in almost any field, which is sort of mind boggling, right? And like how many of us are like at the level of an A minus college student in, in more than like maybe one or two things, you know, and it's at the level of an A minus college student at everything and it can serve millions of requests like at any given time, right? So it's like a scaled A minus college student at basically everything. And then particularly in these creative tasks, as you're saying, I feel like the one thing that holds it back is the need to be accurate, right? And and often it invents facts or, or it sort of like misaligns real world concepts in ways that aren't really realistic. But in a purely creative endeavor like poetry or like creating artwork or coming up with ideas for what to do with a paperclip, right? Like when it sort of has, doesn't have to be anchored to any sort of like really hard facts, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's better than almost anyone in the world. To what extent do you think this is all exciting because we're like, oh, we're on the cusp of general intelligence, right? Like artificial general intelligence, AGI, this idea that, you know, it's, there are different tests for I mean, it, but the idea that it's I mean, smarter than a human being, to, 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 you know, to bring that, to, yeah. to bring it back to the conference. I mean, I would echo what Ali Goetze has said on stage, which is that I just think uh, by so March, many, yeah, yeah uh, back in March at our last conference and, and he'll be back for the next conference. So stay tuned. Yeah. He, he said basically, look, I mean, I think it is general intelligence already. Like it already is, you know, as good or better than 99.9% of humans at almost any task you can throw at it. Right. I mean, how can you not say that's like, general intelligence, right? I just think that holding it to the standard where it has to be 100% accurate about everything or it has to be able to go do stuff on its own, which isn't really that hard of a technical challenge. I think that's just an, it's sort of like goalpost moving because I think people are like afraid of the idea that we have created something that's like as smart or smarter than a human, right? Like clearly five years ago, if you had told someone that we're gonna have an AI chatbot that can do everything that ChatGPT can do, you know, pass the bar, pass AP exams, create beautiful artwork, 
talk to you, you know, write poetry about <laughs> the Dodgers. We're, You'd we're be like, okay. We're being blase. Like, <laughs> right, oh, well, it's, it's, well, that sounds like pretty freaking close <laughs> to general intelligence to me. What more do you want from this thing? I just think that, I, I don't know. Well, I, find I wanted it, to have yeah. a through line of reasoning where sure, it seems sure. to be a thinking being where yeah. it can explain why it generated the answers it has, you know. Yeah, I mean, but can humans really explain why they generate answers in most cases? I just think it's holding it to a really high standard that most humans cannot meet. And so I would argue, is it at the level of a human in almost every area? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say it's in the top 1% of humans in almost any area you throw at it. Yeah, yeah I guess I would agree with that mostly other than the main area I think it starts to uh, fail or deteriorate is is when you kind of create too much memory or context, right? Like essentially humans have this amazing ability to recall information throughout from their entire life, right? And to like sort of, you know, be, be able to main, you know, maintain the context of a hour long, you know, multi hour long movie or, you know, 20,000 page book, right? And sometimes it feels like ChatGPT, you know, it's, you know, stretching to that with the amount of tokens, context windows it can, you know, understand. But it really does show deterioration as you add more and more context. And then there is a actual hard limit of context you can include in, in your prompts. I, I hate the fact that it, you know, doesn't remember when we've talked before, even in the sure. same thread. And it just starts lying about <laughs> what it's said before. There are just, there are parts of what human beings do that humans would never do this sort of just totally make, I mean, some would, but just like totally <laughs> bullshitting, like when it's like, why? Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to get into more of the business question from this sort of same framing with, is it all open AI, chat GBT? On the one hand, you know, I, I feel like we're seeing, you know, people do these like ELO tests where they like compare different foundation models. And we do see like Llama, like Facebook's model, open source model and other models like sort of being competitive at times with ChatGPT, though 4.5, ChatGPT 4.5 remains the gold standard. I guess I'm curious, it's sort of like a two, one, do you think other people will catch up? And like, how much do you think there's sort of a moat here? Like how much do you think being ahead slightly or like having been sort of the the one that consumers know about is is like a moat? Like how 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 defended do you think they are with their position? Hmm. That's a really hard question. I mean, first of all, they're basically a subsidiary of Microsoft, right? So you're sort of asking, 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 you know, are they going to be a huge, you know, strategic value add to Microsoft going forward? I think obviously, yes, right? I mean, are you asking, is ChatGPT always going to be the gold standard for text generation models? Like, I don't know. It seems like everyone's catching up to your point. It also seems like they have the best people and they're moving the fastest on releasing new things. So they'll always stay, you know, six to 12 months ahead. You know, does a moat really matter in this context again, where like you're, you know, you're, you're the best at least, and you're ahead of everyone else. And again, you're a subsidiary of Microsoft. So there's no real business benefit to, you know, winning anyway to you, you know, it it doesn't, it's a sort of hard business question. I think what's more interesting to ask is if all the knockoffs or the competitors or the various image models or the various you know versions of ChatGPT that are out there are going to be successful. Because I think ChatGPT will clearly be successful, I think, in some contexts. I mean, it's going to be in Microsoft Word 10 years from now, right? But what about Anthropic? What about Llama? What about... Google Gemini or Lambda or what about, you know, whatever Amazon's cooking up? What about a million startups that got funded in the last 10 seconds, right? I mean, I think <laughs> those are like more interesting questions because it's to your to the earlier discussion, it seems like a pretty commoditized concept, like chat with a large language model. And unless someone can be way better or have a very different business strategy than ChatGPT, it's hard to see where they're going to win, right? And so people are trying different angles on this concept, but the, the concept itself is not that different in different companies. I do think this really gets to the question of, will there be one best AI, essentially <laughs> one ChatGPT like, that we all use as our personal assistant, right? And that is the most general, most high powerful model of most highly intelligent model, right? That exists in the world, you know, because it's so generalizable. And then, you know, I think there's a good, I think there, that's plausible. I think that Certainly, you know, we use, you know, one, one, you know, browser and one email client. I mean, I don't know, like we don't, we're not (laughs) switching between them a lot. Right. But I think, 
it starts to ask, you know, will that model also be better at all other, you know, vertical tasks as well? I don't, that seems harder to believe, right? Like that it will also be the best model at reading legal documents and being well, I was just going to bring up Case Tech <laughs> yeah, sold to Thomson Reuters exactly. for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. And they were like, I mean, much more sophisticated than a ChatGPT wrapper, but, you know, they were using ChatGPT largely sure. to, like, to well, what, this. Regardless of what they their specific model was doing, it seems possible you could put a ton of compute and specifically right. trained legal data into a model that would outperform ChatGPT at that use case of the law, right? Uh, or same for medicine or something. But I don't know. I'm not 100% confident in that. I think that right. it's very possible just with the, you know, that ChatGPT as a foundational general model will just always be better at all of those key use cases. I mean, Jason Warner, you know, who's speaking at the conference, who's now the CEO of Poolside, is betting that he can build a foundation model for code, obviously, you know, yeah. you can see a bazillion companies that are sort of trying to be like, I will be a foundation model yeah. for, for X. I mean, um, I think it's, I think it's sort of instructive to think back to like social networks. Right. And, and for me, I always find it an interesting analogy of, okay, you know, 15, 20 years ago, would you have predicted there would be a social network for work? And there would be a social network for gaming and there would be a social network for people under 25 that's Snapchat and there'd be a social network for people between 25 and 45 and that's Instagram and there'd be a social network for people who are over 45 and that's Facebook blue, right? I mean, like, and, and, and it's, a, it's sort of interesting to think about like what the cleavages are in the, the user need, right? And in social networking, it's often just age cohorts sort of build these network effects with each other. But then there's also this LinkedIn, which is, oh, actually work is a completely different social concept in your life that you need to keep separate from everything else. And then you have Discord, which is like, actually gaming is like a completely different concept that you need to keep distinct from everything else, right? And I don't think it would have been that easy to predict those things. I mean, maybe like Reed Hoffman will say it was super easy to predict, right? But but I think with these foundational models, it's similar, right? It's, you know, there probably aren't really network effects other than just like who can eat the most data the fastest, right? which seems like it's going to be GPT. And so the data quote unquote network effects or the data scale effects are probably always going to be won by one by GPT, right? Then the question is, are there other use cases where there's some kind of network effect or there's some sort of different business concept? You know, Facebook seems to be going the angle of we're going to open source this all so people will just build it into all these things like it's Linux back in the day. And that'll be the way we win is that it'll be the free open source version and you can just throw it into everything if you want to, which I think is a pretty interesting like business concept, right? And then I don't know that much about the, you know, Anthropics or the pool sides or whatever. You know, how are they going to win? What is the cleavage in the, the use case or the way these models are built that is going to allow someone other than ChatGPT to win because it seems like they're going to win on data and they're going to win on hardware. So like, where are you going to win if you're not them, I guess? And I'm sure everyone has an answer to this, but that to me is the hard question. We've spent a lot of time talking about the foundation models. I mean, Chad, I mean, OpenAI is sort of a combination, right? Where it's like they have the foundation model, they apply it to these use cases. I mean, people talk a lot about, you know, applications and like infrastructure, right? I mean, there are companies, there are all these sort of wonky companies like, Vector databases have been super hot of the last couple months, right? People talk about companies like Pinecone, WeVA. There, there's like a whole list of them, which are just like trying to organize your data in a better way to get it into foundation models. So I wanted to get to the actual like applications, right? And you sort of, Max, earlier referenced the sort of chatbot application, which also goes back to, you know, your both of your early days at Volley trying to build uh, chatbots. I'm curious, you know, getting away from who has the technical expertise, like what you think is interesting in the sort of what its character is it replica? Uh, you guys know this world much better than I do. So you're sort of getting at do we feel these are successful use cases or? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's sustained promise there? Or what do you see in terms of, you know, people actually using AI and applications that? Is ex that excites you. There's a challenge with these models being accurate, obviously 100% of the time, and you can debate whether that's necessary or not, right, to consider it true general intelligence. But in the entertainment space, like, it's just less of a problem, like, conversing with 
a fictional character or a historical character, right? Like these things don't need to be extremely accurate because they're essentially entertainment anyway. I think, I guess I'm always, I always come back to some lessons I've learned in the gaming world where, you know, there's a very, there's a clear difference between an entertaining demo that is fun to do and fun to play with. And I think we've seen a lot of those that are actually really amazing and impressive demos but they don't have long sticking, staying power or retention, right? So thinking of all of the apps that, you know, create fun photos that put you into their, their photos or... Um, oh, yeah, what's you know, a can of soup? Blend. Can of soup is the latest. I keep like, meaning to write about them. They're, they're like super buzzy, right? Yeah, and you can put yourself in AI-generated photos with your friends. I think it's, it's amazing. It's really cool. But the question is, does that really have staying power? Do you build a social network around it in order to make it have staying power and network effects? These are real challenges to create like a sustainable business and startup that achieves a great outcome. So, and similarly with talking to characters, character AI, I think clearly has some product market fit there with people wanting to come back and talk to those characters. But I think what Max and I like to think about is how do you even build more retention around that? How do you build like game mechanics or features in the concept of a virtual pet that you might you know, you, we, we know from looking at mobile gaming and previous eras of gaming that that you can build uh, long running retention into that if you turn if you add game mechanics to the experience. So, yeah, I'm, I'm less bullish on just like general like character conversations that don't have any are sort of aimless or don't have an end point or a purpose and, and more bullish on, you know, how do we bring those characters or NPCs into a gaming context with like normal gaming objectives? I do think in interacting with these underlying characters, I think to your point, I think a lot of the real value is when you start losing sight of it being an AI, whether it's like virtual boyfriend, girlfriend type thing, companionship, you know, sex chat, as we said, being a big opportunity there. Are those companies allowing it or are they cracking down on it? They claim they're cracking down, but then if you go on Reddit and you look at all the screenshots from the last week of what people have been talking to these, I mean, go on, go on the Reddit of any large language character driven mm. experience, you know, you'll see what people are really passionate about using it for, you know, replica or character or whatever. Right. Mm. Um, so I think that, yeah, losing sight of whether or not it's an AI is, is important in some contexts. Um, but in the end, I mean, in any story experience from reading a book, to playing a video game, um, to chatting with an AI, like the goal or for watching a movie is to become immersed in a world that doesn't actually exist, right? And you know when you're watching a movie, you're watching Lord of the Rings, you know it doesn't actually exist. Those characters aren't real, but you sort of become swept up in the narrative in the world, right? And I think similarly, I think that's where the opportunity is with a lot of these character-driven AI entertainment experiences. Do you guys right. want to try this other one that I have? Oh, yeah, you have a game? Yeah, sure. So um, I thought it'd be fun to see what GPT-4, ChatGPT-4 thinks your lives will be like in the year 2028 and see if you, <laughs> either of you agree with the, the prediction there. So Wait, I sorry, prompted, say it again? Say it, it, I, I asked ChatGPT to predict a day in the life of Eric Newcomer, specifically a... American journalist reporting on the Silicon Valley and startup industry, which I borrowed from your Wikipedia <laughs> and, you know, gave it a little bit more context of, sure. about your Substack, And yeah, it came up with a day in the life in the year 2028. So I'm going to read it to you and uh, you guys can assess whether you think this is accurate. A day in the life of Eric Newcomer, 2028. The first hints of dawn kiss the San Francisco skyline as Eric Newcomer's smart blinds slowly begin to rise. The ambient sounds of birds chirping echo softly through the smart speakers in his apartment. The <laughs> everything's AI smart. The AI, <laughs> everything's just smart. The AI-driven home system has analyzed his REM sleep and calculated the opti optimal wake-up time to ensure he starts the day with peak cognitive efficiency. Lifting himself out of bed, Eric's AR glasses are laying on the nightstand, feeding him the day's analytics. Newcomer's media outlet has we grown now tremendously. We have to be bullish about AI, but we also have to be bullish about AR, <laughs> augmented reality, and you're seeing okay. Well, yeah. you can you can Come assess on. whether you think that's yeah, accurate. Right. But you should you should at least appreciate this. Newcomer's media outlet has grown tremendously. An AI this, bot. This is ah. the new like um uh, what is it like a horoscope? You're reading my horoscope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm re I'm, re I'm yeah. predicting your future. 
an AI bot had curated and condensed the most relevant news from the vast ocean of information. All of this streamlined and visualized for maximum absorption. <clears throat> Eric's morning routine was synced seamlessly with his devices as he finishes his quick morning workout, <laughs> suggested and supervised by his virtual personal trainer. His smart kitchen is already brewing his favorite blend of coffee, tailored to his genetic makeup and current health metrics. Settling into his study, the day's agenda was projected holographically. The AI had lined up interviews, articles to review, and podcast episodes to record. Eric's writing has also evolved. With the help of AI-enhanced tools, he could construct and edit stories with increased speed and precision. His AI assistant named Nora was able to give real-time feedback on the readability, engagement, and impact of his writing. Nora also had a mode where she could mimic Eric's style, allowing her to draft articles for him. It was a collaboration that Eric had grown to appreciate. Midday, as Eric prepares for his podcast recording, he remembers the days when he used to worry about internet connections and sound quality. Now, with quantum-driven communication technology, oh my God. not only it's was the really connection flawless, all technology here, but, but he could also record in virtual environments, giving his audience an immersive experience. Today's episode was recorded in a simulation of a venture capital firm in the heart of Silicon Valley. Yeah, this space everybody wants. Sand Hill Road, the most beautiful. Everybody wants to be there. (laughs) Both he and his guests appear as lifelike holograms. Afterwards, Eric took a moment to reflect. He looked out over the city, remembering the early days of Newcomer. Now he wasn't just delivering news. He was shaping the future narrative of startups and venture capital. The weight of that responsibility was not lost on him. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. Certainly. I mean, it's funny. I find a lot of the predictions about non-AI stuff to be the most annoying that it's so certain. Hardware is hard. Artificial and augmented reality. And I mean, there were some other... I'm pretty sure quantum right, internet. Right, quantum in internet, years. exactly. Yeah, like, can I take the under right, on quantum-powered yeah, yeah, exactly. internet or whatever well, that was? Well, it's an interesting thing because we were talking about, you know, believing in AGI, right? And can you, you know, if you believe in AGI or general <laughs> intelligence... Well, like, then it would we, be about much more, you know... Yeah, I get well, the point. We could, asking, have, we could right? wish everything. Yeah, exactly. Or that's that's that sounds like a story an AI would tell me to convince me that we wouldn't all be dead in five years thanks to AI. <laughs> and it was like the future is going to be bright. <laughs> there yeah, will definitely not be AI having killed well, us all. Optimistic. Yeah. You'll have smart blinds. I know they they try to like. I mean, I do think a problem with some of this stuff is like it's programmed to be like too banally optimistic. Like I find yeah, it yeah. like. I like beg ChatGPT, be more like George Carlin. I don't know. You know, just behave with some free thought. And it's so, why isn't it like Eric? I don't know, at that age, he's probably has some cardiac, you know, whatever. It's just sort of like, where's the like medical thing where it's five years from now, you know, anyway, his knees start to hurt when he goes on runs or whatever. And, and I would be interested in sort of the AI piece, obviously, of the medicine. I mean, the, the idea that I would have a writing assistant Seems like basically plausible today. You know, I go into ChatGPT. Literally, when I did, I wrote my own vows, but they proofread them and ChatGPT tweaked and told me to move one thing to active voice from passive voice. You know, it's like. I feel like like this is assuming that there's going to be this like perfect equilibrium of you reporting the news and doing interviews and using your AI assistant. I just kind of find that to be like not that plausible like it's either going to be one or the other like you're going to still do be doing most of the work or you're going to be doing almost no work <laughs> and won't have a job or, or i don't know you'll essentially have right evolved into a brand instead of a writer right i mean I, it seems hard to believe that it, we're going to thread the needle here that you will still be doing all this intellectual and the reporting. temptation i mean i do think one of the real fears i have about ai that will t- it's just like the, the temptation not to think if it can do your task for you, right? I mean, that's what we're sort of seeing yeah, with homework. That's what I'm. There, there are a lot of like cheat, you know, some types of cheating where it's okay. You can cheat. You can bring in the formulas, but you still have to use them or whatever. At least you still have to think. Whereas, like when ChatGPT can produce the final text for you, man, that is like a path to not progressing as a writer anymore, right? Like as soon as you're just right. like. You're not human mm-hmm. out of the loop. You know what? Yeah, exactly. What am I besides? What are you providing to this business? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree, though. It's it's just so hard to get anything edgy or funny out of it. It's like kind of an I don't know. It's it's tough to it's it's very driven by sci fi. 
I feel like yes. one of the challenges. Well, I think I think this is the prompt, right? But it's, it's hard to get it to think. Like I know you could say the same thing about humans. There is no independent thought. You're parodying yeah, a yeah. bunch of stuff you've heard, but it, it does feel like have it gener- generate a really new, an actually new idea. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's like I think it's very capable it of that. Actually, I, I I found that if you tell it to be extremely original, you know, ignore. You know, I feel past. like it just gets like rhymy. I don't know. I feel like it. I, I do think there's like a prompting element to this feeling that it's not able to be as creative or original as you might think. In, in the same exercise that ChatGPT is doing, we can compare and contrast in five years. What are specific predictions, less colorfully said, that you would make mm. in five years? Hmm. I mean, I definitely think to come back to the self-driving thing, it seems like we're actually going to have fully self-driving cars in five years. I mean, I know you could say in we already some have them. Cities, in some cities, I think the big question there is just how yeah. much, you know, Waymo and cruising people think, can take what they've learned. In- I think if today they can drive around San Francisco, I think they'll be able to drive between cities and, and in, in the vast majority of cities or whatever at that point. At least, I don't know if the United States, it has to be trained on different data than other countries or whatever or something. But I think that... I mean, the fact that we have live Waymos like dropping people off on my street every day just makes me think you're going to be able to go anywhere in a self-driving car in five years, which, again, I lost the bet the other way on that last time. So I'll probably lose the bet somehow this time. Well, there's but, a, that is, a problem. And also just like car turnover is such a long life cycle. Yeah, it depends it's how many you're what percent. No, no, no. It's not that I'm arguing for 100 percent penetration of those. It's more that I will I will argue that, you know, you will be able to take one, you know, as an Uber or whatever in any major U.S. city. And, you know, I don't know whether or not you'll be able to buy one. That's sort of an interesting question as to whether or not it'll be an ownership model versus an Uber type model or a lease model or whatever you want to call it. But I think they'll be like, you know, available for use, uh, you know, at, at large scale across you know, the, the major U.S. cities and also between cities. Right. It just seems like we're clearly like pretty much there, assuming Waymo and Cruise aren't like lying about the capabilities of their their vehicles. Interesting that your main predictions around self-driving. I, I, I was thinking about something I feel pretty yeah, good about. and I agree yeah. with that. I do think, like, this view of you will wake up and there will be, like, essentially your personalized assistant. Maybe it'll be That's in a smart speaker or yeah. in your your wall or your mirror or something. I, I guess, like, I just, I don't know if it'll be Alexa or ChatGPT or, you know, something brand new. But I do think... You know, it, it's going to be a voice probably driven experience. And, bias, and bias. Well, at least in your home, and it probably yeah. bias. You're, you're going to be typing to it. And I alone yeah, it in just, your it house. just doesn't make like, sense. Typing is very efficient. People love it. It's a very successful. No, people do yeah. not love typing. No, typing yeah. is people way less soon, efficient than talking. You know, whatever. Anyway, uh, no, you're. Crazy. I mean, no, it'll, you'll you'll be able to type to it, but I I just right, think right. like most of us will be like talking to this AI assistant, and it'll be. I generally think there'll just be one that I use every day. Maybe maybe there'll be more than one in the market like that people use, but I will just have one that, you know, learns my preferences and becomes personalized to me and creates kind of a history with me. And it might even actually, you know, recommend other assistants for certain use cases, right? If I have to go prepare for Max's congressional testimony, I will I will maybe <laughs> use a separate bot for that or something. But yeah. Specialized testimony, <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I feel pretty strongly we're going to have conversations, voice conversations with our personalized assistants every day. The yeah. prediction I will make that's yeah. sort of different than what's been said is underlining that I think the average person wants consumption more than creation, and that TikTok is in some ways the actual most used thing in. In the AI, AI world, yeah. and and this sort of yeah. ChatGPT got at this a little in its prediction about me, where it's it's very good at sorting things that I want. I I think in five years we'll see at least the beginnings of like pure AI generated social account. I mean, you're already seeing sort of like these like women and cartoons that are like this seems like they're gaming like the Instagram algorithm with like mm. totally sort of machine made, but like. The, I, I think even like video within five years, I think we'll have, yeah, you're on TikTok and it's just here is a generated video and it's warring with actual creatives. And I think that will be like potentially a generationally culturally interesting period where like you have like young people coming up where they're just like 
being fed sort of what they want outside of, you know, it could create like a really weird type of humor where like they have people it, are used to these. Yeah. Okay. There's like an AI, there's like a bunch of AI sort of celebrities and accounts and right. they create content and they interact right. and they host, you know, podcasts. And, the, and it's all and, like effectively AB tested. It's like they put out yeah, like a right. hundred yeah. versions, you know, a ton of versions of the video and they see which one is getting engagement and then they yep. slowly funnel into those. Just TikTok chooses which videos get surfaced. Yeah. That approach is in the creation. It makes most sense for short term, short form. And, but you know, the day you can make like a movie about it, like then we're like killing American industry, but yeah. Well, the question is, do you think we're going to get personalized? I mean, you mentioned they're going to AB test everything or whatever, but is it that there will literally be, 8 billion different versions of each piece of content for each person. It's yeah, there is no such thing as a piece of content yeah. anymore. Like it's just, you get a version of some concepts like that is perfect for you. Right. I mean, or do we still have some sort of like value in being like, Oh, did you see that video the other night about that thing? And you can talk right. about it and you can build I think relationships. That, I mean, people it. are going like, to try both. I mean, I think one, there's like a limited, there's like a, at some point there aren't enough humans, right? Or there's <laughs> like, there, there is like a data shortage, right? It's hard on some level. If you do something population wide, you can really test and see what works like broadly. Whereas like yeah. running experiments on me, you just don't get enough shots on goal necessarily to be great at like the TikTok style. So to me, that leans a little bit more, yeah. less this sort of obsessive personalization and more I mean, obviously there's well, subgroups, but not like to a person, more like subgroups. Yeah, I think subgroups, like I think it'll not just be you, you, like training on your information, but other people who have similar experience, similar behaviors that you do on the app, right? It's able to use that, that data for training too. My last AI adjacent prediction is, I mean, this was in some of these forward-looking GPT scenarios is, I mean, I do think you take five more years of development on AR glasses or whatever, you know, I don't think they'll be as lightweight as the glasses you know, we wear every day. It'll probably still kind of look like a VR headset in many ways, but I do think people are going to spend like hours per day inside a high quality Apple Vision Pro type experience because I think, five years. again, I mean, I mean, if the average American's watching five or six hours of TV a day, which they are, like why wouldn't you watch two of those hours on a hundred foot screen in front of Mount Hood, Washington or whatever, right? Which is basically the pitch from Apple, you know? Or why wouldn't you watch personalized AI generated TikTok content like from Eric's, you know, feed or whatever, right? And I just think that, you know, screens getting better has been one of the true constants of our lifetime, right? And the Vision Pro, which is sort of the infinite screen, the infinite canvas for visual content is is kind of the ultimate expression of that, right? So I, I think that- I'm more on the 10 year- There'll be quite a lot of time in those. I just feel like but. that space has been dogged by limits of optics and just sort of hard sure. constraints. And so a lot of our intuitions about software level improvements don't translate. And I would say I would take the longer time horizon on that. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Apple seems to think they got it, so I guess we'll all see. <laughs> yeah, this is a too. smart Max yeah. take. When's Apple been wrong before? I don't know. Trust. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, when Apple ships something, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, again, with the iPhone, like, was there a touchscreen that had ever worked before? No, there never had been, right? I mean, I just think that are you going to get maybe the they're Apple wrong. Vision Pro? Do you, is it out yet? No, next year. Oh, I, no, you can't get it until next year, but <laughs> I'll definitely get one for sure. Yeah, you're like I can expense. I mean, it, for God's sake, right? Like you're like we're a game company. I would, Device I would buy company. it out of my hard-earned <laughs> personal money. Okay, I would. I, I don't know. I, I guess yeah. I, I trust Apple when they make a. I mean, this is a decade-long hardware bet, and they waited a decade instead of shipping five or seven years ago because they, they it, didn't feel like it was good enough. Is there right besides now, right? obviously that ChatGPT was getting us thinking about this technology? Do you see any sort of <laughs> AI? connection or AI utility or like, how do you see those I mean, two things coming? I together? just again think with these characters that we're talking about, whether it's an assistant or whether it's an in-game character or whether it's a virtual companion or whatever, a pet or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, like if they are the size of a real object, you know, if they're the size of a, an actual virtual boyfriend, girlfriend or a size of a, a, you know, a Pokemon, whatever that actual size is, and you can talk to them, that's going to be a better experience than looking at a tiny little screen in your hand, right? And, and I want to, like, oh, I want yeah, right? I mean, the companion I've got. Yeah. 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 I mean, have you read the golden yeah, compass? Exactly. Right? They all have yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> How yeah. do I get that? Right. Wait, you want that? That's I mean, part of self-projection though. Also, you don't, 
I mean, it'd be cool. you want everybody to see that kind of thing, not just so then. Yeah, you know, sure. If you're both in Apple Vision class right, exactly. headsets, right? Then, right. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> All right. This was fun. This is basically our first episode. Uh, we're we're going to come out with probably five more. I think next episode will be, what do we think of sort of the apocalyptic vision of AI? Yeah. Anything you guys would add on what, what to look forward to in the next couple episodes? I'm excited to uh, you know run this conference. I think it was it was amazing the first time. I think it's going to be even bigger and better this time. Yeah, I I genuinely believe this is like the biggest thing since the internet or the iPhone. So I think that you know we're all like pretty authentically pumped about what's happening in the space, and I think the amount of stuff that's happened in the last six or seven months has been mind boggling, and it just feels like things are moving faster than at any time in my entire life in any technology space. So it's just super exciting to even be like remotely adjacent to any of this. So I'm at really the heart of it at cerebral Valley. at the heart of it. Yeah. At least <laughs> physically at the heart of it, <laughs> working on working on the other elements of being at the heart of it. But yeah, physically for sure. Great. Well, that's our episode. I'm Eric Newcomer, Max Child, James Wilsterman are my co-hosts of co-founders of Volley. Thanks so much to Scott Brody, who's been producing the episodes. Shout out to Riley Kinsella, my chief of staff, who's super involved. Gabby Caliendo, who works at Volley, who's core <laughs> to the conference and making everything happen. I think she made sure you guys had microphones and lights so you could actually see and hear you. Thank you to Young Chomsky, as always, for the theme music. Please, gotta build the feeds. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Go play Yes Sire or Song Quiz. And for me, subscribe to the Substack, newcomer.co. That's the most important thing. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next week.